0: So, um, control. I like to have it. I feel like I need it. Um, I don't know about you. Uh, you may like to have it. You may feel like you like to need it. Or you may feel like you don't like it, need to have it and you, you don't feel like you want it even. But here's the reality about me. And it's likely the reality in your life. It probably is a reality in all of our lives, whether we want to recognize it or not. Many of our problems, many of the problems I face, many of the problems you face in life are because we tried to control the situation. Or we tried to control the people in the situation because we wanted to control the outcome of the situation. And here's the reality about control. When I want control, I'm not gonna let God have control. When I want control, I'm not gonna let God have control. Now, more on that in a moment. Um, If you're new with us, my name is Casey, and I'm so grateful that we get to share this time together with you. For those of you that are online, we're so grateful to be able to share this time with you, and we're so grateful. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, we do have a gift for those of you who are new with us. And at the end of the service, if you're in the room, if you'll go back to the welcome table, Miss Alicia's back there, and she'd love to give you a gift uh, for being with us today. Also, if you're online and you're new with us, we'd love to give you a gift for being with us online. They're posting a connect card in the chat uh, below in the church online, or if you're on our social media platform. Platform. They're posting a link there that we'd love to send you a gift for being with us today. Hey, Westside, let's let everyone who's new with us know how grateful we are to share this time with them. Will you do that with me? Yeah. So today we're finishing this series called Entitled to. And for those of you, that if you're just catching up, let me just kind of talk to you about this word entitled to. It's a made up word. It's a mashup word. It, entitled to is this. <clears throat> it's the attitude of entitlement. That's what entitled to is. It is the attitude of entitlement. And what we've learned and we've seen and it's it, it's evident that entitled to doesn't wear well on others. We recognize that. It just does not wear well on others. And we're in the series recognizing and discovering where entitled to may be present in our life. And we're learning how to combat it and keep it at bay. Um, So what is entitlement? We had to define this in order to understand, you know, recognize it. We need to learn how to to identify it and define it. And so we're working with this definition. This is my working definition of what entitlement is. Entitlement is when a privilege becomes the expectation. When any privilege in your life turns into this expectation that you now demand in your life. And And here's the thing about entitlement. (laughs) <laughs> about these privileges that become expectations. You don't know when it becomes an expectation. You don't see it. It just naturally happens in our life because here's the thing about entitlement and our privileges. Most of the privileges we have, we've easily forgotten that they are privileges or we didn't even realize it. We, we, we just kind of operate and, and it just becomes this expectation that is a privilege. Like, For instance, Just in getting here today, the privilege that you could hop into a car, whether you own that car, lease that car, rent that car, someone brought you in a car, you might likely have got here with wheels. Hundreds of years ago, they did not have that privilege that we have today. I mean, think about it. Just hundreds of years ago. The world did not have the privilege that we have today. We have the privilege of getting in our car that has a motor that we don't have to exert our energy and we can go to Walmart or the local grocery store or local wherever and get a bottle of medicine to take care of a headache. And that didn't exist hundreds of years ago. We have all of these privileges that sometimes, when what do we do with the privilege that we, that we lose sight of? We take it sometimes for granted. Like, the like privilege, and this is real to me. Because I've been working in our bathroom, and this is, I've been, started with replacing a toilet. This is how this whole thing started. Um, yeah. Um, so I'm replacing the toilet, and I'm looking at this toilet roll holder. Actually, the reality is I hit my head on the toilet, po- bo- the, the toilet paper roller holder. And, um, and I started to complain about it. And, I, you know, I'm preaching, so I can't really complain about something I'm preaching on. And I begin to say, think about this. You know, I even take toilet paper for granted. Like, how, like I, I even, this, this is really a privilege. How many, how many places in the world don't even have access to this in any restroom that they go to? And, and I take it for granted that's it's in every restaurant, that, every, every restroom that I go to, wherever it is, it's likely going to be there. And when the privilege of something ha- having something removed When when that privilege has been removed in our life, like when toilet paper was removed during a pandemic, how many of us dealt with entitled to then? I mean, I remember I did. You know, here's the thing about those privileges is when they become removed in our life, that's when you see the entitlement come in. And when entitled to it affects our minds and our attitudes, it does something in us. And here's a serious big idea. See, when privileges become expectations, you and I, won't experience the joy and the blessings of life. That's what happens, is when we turn those, whenever that transition happens, and we don't cognitively allow that, it just happens. And entitled to creeps in, something happens, is we lose sight of the joy. And as Christ followers, we can even lose sight of the joy of our salvation, And everything's rooted in that. And we lose the joy of everything else that God has given us in life. And we lose sight of the blessings and we lose out on the blessings that God has given us in life. Now, in week one, we... Learned about how to diagnose this. And we learned that, that diagnosing this, we can see the symptoms of complaining, comparing, and controlling. And then week two, we said, we're gonna go to Dr. Jesus and we're going to ask him to help us. And he prescribed the first pill to us, a hard teaching of Jesus. In fact, the hard way is the, 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 the way that we combat entitled to it, and We choose the hard way. And the hard way is to serve others as opposed to being served by others. That we're going to choose to serve others as opposed to choosing to be served by others. And then last week we got our second dose from Dr. Jesus and he gave us the second pill to swallow. And that was all about our, our gratitude. It was all about our gratitude. So we're not entitled to anything. And so we said, hey, we're not entitled to anything. So we're gonna be grateful to God for everything. Now, today's teaching is actually the most difficult pill to swallow. And for many today's teaching, I'll I'll just be honest; it's going to rub some of you in the wrong way, and it's going to create some friction in some of us here today. And some of us are you're going to you're going to hear this, and and Doctor Jesus is going to prescribe this, and you're just going to leave this pill, and you're going to put it up on the shelf, and you're not going to take it. And this is the reality. I understand this; that this is what because what we're talking about today is a very difficult pill. To swallow. Today, we're going to talk about your control and my control over what we have. We're going to talk about our control over what we have. Control. You may say, Casey, I don't want it. I don't need it. But when we say that, often we're lying to ourselves because we want to feel better about ourselves so that we can keep control for ourselves. See, here's what control does. We control what we believe we are entitled to have. I mean, think about it. You control what you believe you are entitled to have. I mean, this is why the parent will call the teacher, you know, because they think that their child deserves to have a better grade because of their homework. So what's the parent do? They call the teacher and says, hey, because of this, this and this, I, I think you could, should reconsider because I think my child. And so what do we do? We try to take control of the situation because we are, believe that our child and really we are entitled to something. This is why today, if your team isn't playing tomorrow night, when the referee makes a bad call, you're going to yell from your comfortable seat in your comfortable living room or family room or den or wherever you're going to watch this, and you're going to yell at the referee because you want control and you felt like your team didn't get what they were entitled to have in that ruling. This is why Many women are controlling with their wedding because they're entitled to something. And what we're entitled to, we control. Men, this is why we, we control our free time. Many of us men, we control our free time because we are entitled to our free time. And so we control what we feel like we're entitled to have. See, what we feel we're entitled to have is what you are going to exercise your control over. This is why we control so many things in our life. We feel entitled to them. And this is why you control your money the way you control your money. Or maybe you um, may be out of control with your money, but that's the point, is you're out of control with your money, and you're in control of being out of control with your money, and that's all that matters. See, the point is nobody else has control of your money. You do. And because you have control, this is what the point is. You don't want anyone else to have control, even God. You don't want anyone else to have control but you. Because why? We're entitled to it. And something happens when we are entitled to those things and we control those things. It prevents us. See, entitled to will prevent me and it'll prevent you from being generous. It prevents us from doing this. Now, before you pick up the phone and start browsing Amazon and, and getting that order before you, you the two-day shipping expires or you've got to get your grocery list, I understand if you do that. Before you do that and you shut me down because I've just talked about the thing that we shouldn't talk about in church, money. I, ju- I want you to know something. This is something in me too. I mean, this is the whole reason I'm able to talk about it in this way because I, I deal with this too. And so I'm not preaching at you. I am there with you in this. See, entitled to raises its ugly head in me, and I'm aware of this in me, and it infects and it affects my generosity. See, I'm not generous with the things that I feel like I've earned. I'm not generous with the things that I exert the most control over. See, I protect those things. I don't loan those things out. And I control those things. Why? Because they are mine. And the things I exercise the most control over are the things that I am not generous with. See, when I believe I'm entitled to it, I won't be generous with it. And likely you're the same way. And today we're going to go back to Dr. Jesus. And we're gonna look at what he says. And there's two stories that we're gonna look at today. One is in Luke chapter seven and the other one is in John chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to those two perspectively. We're gonna start in Luke chapter seven. Both of these passages show us uh, a, an, an entitled person and both of these passages show us a generous person. Both of these passages. And in, in both of these passages, the, the woman is the generous person and the entitled person is the man in, the, in, in these, in these um, encounters that Jesus has. And both of these passages show us how to deal with entitlement. And these interactions with Jesus direct us in how to express our love and our devotion and respond to him. And so let's jump into Luke chapter seven. In verse 36, we read that when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house, reclined and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume. On them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him as if he knew her, his thoughts. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And now here Jesus does a comparison. He compares the love of Simon and the love of this woman. And this is what he says. He says, then he turned toward, he says, he turns toward the woman and said to Simon, I think this is beautiful. He turns his attention to the woman at his feet. They're reclining at this table. In that day and age, they don't have tables like you sit in a chair. You you sit on a pillow or something and you recline. Your feet are kind of to the back of you as your face is at the table. And he turns toward this woman, turns his attention away from the table where all the guests would be where all the privileged people would be, the place of honor would be. And he turns his attention to the woman at his feet who is doing this beautiful act of worship. But his words are for Simon. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my body. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. I want you to underline those six words because this is really important. In fact, this is kind of like the whole key in this whole thing. Jesus elevates her love in how it was shown, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Their question is what the, it was known, the answer was known by this woman. She knew who this was. And then Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. A beautiful story, isn't it? I mean, this is such a, a beautiful, beautiful display of worship and love and of generosity. But there's some convicting comparisons in here. I mean, some very convicting comparisons. And by comparing the two, Jesus is stating that one's love for Jesus is demonstrated through one's generosity toward him. This is what Jesus is is, is stating in this. And and, and I just want to ask you a question because I ask this of me. I've asked this of me many times, every time I read this in the gospel every year. Am I like the Pharisee or am I like the woman? Am I like the Pharisee or am I like the woman? See, often I'm more like the Pharisee in my love for Jesus. See, the varying g- measures of generosity between the, Simon the Pharisee and, and the woman displayed their love for Jesus. And sometimes I'm kind of like the Pharisee in, in my love for Jesus. You know, the Pharisee didn't provide Jesus even the basic hospitality. He didn't, he didn't give Jesus the basic hospitality in this. And the woman provided that hospitality in the most meaningful and personal way. You know, sometimes I wonder if God looks at me, and maybe he looks at you, and how we display our love for him. And I believe he does because Jesus noticed this. He put it on display for everybody. See, God looks at my display of generosity as a display of my love for him. And he also looks at my lack of generosity as a display of my lack of love for him. See, the Pharisee did not provide the basic hospitality. And maybe he did that because he felt entitled. Maybe he thought he was better than Jesus. And, 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 but whatever reason, he didn't even ask his servant to provide the basic hospitality, to have Jesus' feet washed, which was a custom in when you bring somebody into your home. This this woman who felt so unworthy, but yet she felt bold enough to come to Jesus. And she did, she, the only place that, that she felt comfortable was at Jesus' feet. And in this, she was not entitled to Jesus' generosity of love, but she responded to his love with her own generosity toward him. See, she wet Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. The woman responded because she had many sins forgiven. And she recognized this. And it was in direct display to what Jesus was to her. Her love was so much greater because she knew her great need for Jesus' love. And the Pharisee? Maybe the Pharisee didn't think that he needed that much forgiveness. Maybe the Pharisee thought because of his status and display and his religious duty that it was earned his place in the kingdom was earned maybe his pride was in his status and that made it harder for him to show his love for Jesus see the woman's love and her generosity was directly connected to her trust and her faith in who Jesus was to her her savior her forgiver and her king I mean, all of these things were in display in this. See, the Pharisee also responded to Jesus with his lack of faith. He did not anoint Jesus' head, which was an anointing for someone. When you would anoint somebody's head, this was a scriptural connotation, a scriptural symbol that this is the king. And this is what she did. She didn't just anoint his head. She anointed his whole body. She recognized his authority, his control, that he is over all. He did not. not. He ignored that Jesus was that. And by not displaying his generosity, he, re- he showed that he didn't see that Jesus was a creator. Jesus was the king who is in control of everything. And the bottom line is the Pharisee loved Jesus less and expressed it less. It doesn't mean that he didn't love Jesus. He just loved Jesus less. And the sinful woman loved Jesus more, and it was displayed. See, their display of generosity was a their display of generosity to Jesus was a, a display of their love or their lack of love in their hearts for Jesus. Well, Casey, I don't know if we can judge people's hearts because we don't see their heart. You're right, we don't. But Jesus does, and actually, Jesus says we can see people's hearts. He does say this. He goes. He goes as her great love has shown. See, that's the thing about love. It shows, it's expressed. And my generosity, your generosity, is a gauge. It's like on the dashboard of our life, and it's a gauge of several things. First, my generosity is expressed in my gratitude. My gratitude is expressed in my generosity. Let me put it that way. My gratitude is expressed in my generosity. It's a gauge of my gratitude. That's what generosity is. It's a gauge of my gratitude. And this woman, she had many sins forgiven. And that, her her gratitude was off the chart and expressed itself in this generosity. She was generous to Jesus. And, And here's the beautiful thing, is when the gospel of what Jesus has done for me has wrecked me like it has wrecked her, then my gratitude will overflow with generosity. And when I'm not grateful, see, and when I'm not grateful for all God's done for me and all that I have, because everything I have and everything I am, it comes from God, When I'm not grateful, reality in my life is I'm not generous. And when I'm not grateful, I show that I'm entitled. And you know what that does? It makes me lock down and control what God has given to me. See, not only is our gratitude to God expressed in our generosity, but our love is. See, my love is expressed through my generosity. I express my love for Cassie, my spouse through my generosity toward her desires and interests and wants. I give toward her interests. I'm not gonna withhold it to mine. I'm gonna freely give because that's what generosity does is my love is expressed through my generosity. I put her interests ahead of my own because I love her. And this Tuesday, this is something I'm so grateful for. This Tuesday, we celebrate 19 years of being married and she's in the studio right now. And I can just tell you, baby, I love you more. I said it first. After 19 years of marriage, thank you for that. That's more for her than it is for me because she's endured me. See, when I withhold my generosity, yeah, we love you, Cass. When, when, when we withhold our generosity, from, when I withhold it from our wife, I, I, I don't give toward her interests. You know what I do? I, I put it toward my interests. And so it's just the same with God. My love for God is expressed through my generosity for there being interest to the things, toward the things that he has an interest in. And what he says is the priority. Your and my generosity is tied to our hearts. This is what Jesus would teach. This is why Jesus in Matthew 6 would say, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. They're tied together. They're linked together. Because where one goes, the other follows. And he would say that this is your generosity. Your generosity, this is why your generosity is so important. Your generosity is directly connected to who or what you love. And your generosity is connected to something else. And last, it's to this. It's your generosity is directly connected with your faith. Anytime I talk about the word faith in our English language, I use the word trust as much as I can because this is one of the best words that indicate what your faith is in. It's what you trust. And if you and I, if I don't trust that God is the provider of my life, if I don't trust that God is the provider of all I have and all I am and all I need, if I don't trust that, then I'm not going to be generous with what I have because I will be afraid that I will be in need. But when I trust that God has given me all that I have and he's given me all that I need and that he will supply my needs according to his riches and glory and I truly trust that, then I will be generous with what I have because I'm not worried about being in need. This woman's faith was in who Jesus was. And that faith was expressed in her radical generosity to give the Something very expensive to Jesus for his purposes. Now there's another passage that I want to look at. And this story is is amazing um, because it not only gives us a picture of true devotion expressed in generosity, in radical generosity, it fulfills a prophecy of Jesus. And in Matthew uh, chapter 26, verse 13, Jesus actually says in that cha- chapter when he tells this, uh, when he's there in this story and he, like he's in this scenario, he goes, truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout all the world, what this woman in this story that we're going to read today is will be done, will be told about her as well and in memory of her. And this is a story that's connected to the good news of Jesus. And really me telling this today is a fulfillment of that prophecy. Anytime you read this is a fulfillment of that prophecy. This is amazing about the nature of scripture and what Jesus has said. And in the story though, I want us to see the, the worship of this lady, the, the act of worship this lady does. And I also want us to look at Judas' response as well. So in chapter 12 and verse, verse one of chapter of John Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone. Jesus replied, it was, and I want you to circle this road, intended. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, we don't know how this woman came to know that Jesus needed to have his body prepared for burial. We don't know if Mary, maybe Jesus had a time with Mary in the, you a know, couple months ago or a couple weeks ago where they were talking and he was telling her that he would die, be buried, and he would need to have the proper proper burial. And so this perfume that she had, and that was very expensive, worth the year's wages, he asked her maybe to give that. We don't know if that were the case. We don't know if the Holy Spirit directed her to do this and it, because she knew that Jesus was the savior of the world and he had to die. She believed that and he had to come back to life. But she knew that this was what the Holy Spirit was directing her. Either way, whatever the case was, this was an act of obedience. See, either way, her generosity was an act of her, her obedience to God's purpose. And that's the same with my generosity. You see, my generosity and your generosity is an act of obedience. That's what it always is. It's, all, it's an act of obedience. See, my faith is directly connected to my obedience. My trust is directly connected with obey. And my fa- generosity is directly connected to my faith in God. And when I'm listening and obeying, I'm generous, but when I'm not listening and I'm not obeying, the reality is in my life, I'm not that generous. When we know God's purpose and we understand God's interests and we, we understand all this, we will put our generosity toward his purposes, toward his kingdom. And not ours. And when we know God's purpose and understand it, that's that. That's when we follow Jesus. See, that's why Jesus would say, "Where your treasure is, your heart follows." And when He says that passage in verse thirty-three, He would say, "Seek first the kingdom of God." And 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 what's He say about all those things we worry about? All those things will be added to you as well, because it's it's directly connected to our obedience. And our generosity is directly connected to our obedience to seek God's kingdom first in our life and make his kingdom the priority of our lives. Unfortunately, more often, my kingdom and my empire become the priority of my life because everything I have, it belongs to me and it's under my control. See, our generosity is an act act of obedience. And our lack of generosity is then seen by God as disobedient. When God has called me to be generous and I'm not, he sees me as disobedient to him. My lack of generosity displays my lack of love. But that's a difficult pill to swallow. So let's stop talking about that right now. Let's talk about a different pill. Let's talk about Judas, okay? And, and Judas here. Judas, Judas um, was in control of the money bag. I mean, this is what he had. He had control of the money bag. And remember, it's hard to be generous when you believe you have control. When you, the thing that you control the most, is the thing that you're least generous with. And Judas had control of the money. Therefore, I believe he felt entitled to it. And you know something? John called, in, in the scripture, John writes it, Judas was a thief. You know who I didn't think thought he was a thief? I don't think Judas thought he was a thief. Just like, like, like Judas just thought maybe. I, what, what's wrong with me getting a little from the top? What's wrong with it? What's wrong with me just taking a little bit? From, I mean, I'm entitled to it. And this is speculation. This is not exactly there in scripture. But I don't think Judas thought himself as a thief. I don't consider myself a thief. I know you don't consider yourself a thief. The nation of Israel didn't consider themselves a thief. I mean, they, they didn't consider themselves a thief, but you know what God called the nation of Israel? In Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, God talks to the nation of Israel and says, well, will a mere mortal rob God? But you ask, how have we robbed you? And the nation of Israel, you ask, how have we robbed you? And, and God says, You've robbed me in tithes and offerings. Israel was withholding the 10%, the first 10% that, that what represented their obedience to God to put his kingdom first. And, and that tithe, that first 10% was what God had instructed the people throughout all time to give toward his purpose. It predates the Old Testament law and the Old Testament covenant. And in this, the, the obedience to give first to God's kingdom is a response of our love and our devotion to God for all that he's done. And it's a recognition that everything we have and everything we are comes from God. But what do I do? I control my money and I withhold it from my purposes as opposed to his kingdom purpose. And any time that I don't give toward his kingdom purpose, any time that I withhold it for my purpose and want it under my control, I become like Judas, a thief. I rob God. See, when we take control over it, we're claiming ownership of it. Bottom line is Judas wanted control over the money. Something in him felt he was entitled to have it, entitled to have some of the money. And because he was entitled to it, he wasn't generous with it. And he was angry at the generosity that she showed as well. And when I take control of it, I'm claiming that I am the owner of it. And when we take control of it, we're saying, God, you don't own it anymore. See, my generosity It's hindered by wanting control. It's hindered by wanting control. This is my money. This is what I, it belongs to me. So I'm going to do what I want with my money. And I want to say something respectfully here. This is the number one reason that I believe that people won't give to a local church. Because they don't control where it goes. And I know this is a sensitive topic to talk about. And it's wild to me that people are okay in giving to organizations. And I think it's good to give to organizations, but they'll be okay with giving to organizations that meet physical needs, but don't advance the kingdom of God. And they would rather give to those organizations than give to the local church, which is the only institution that God has called and ordained the family of God to advance the kingdom of God. And people would rather give toward other things than the, to his priority, and to his kingdom. And in this, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't give to those things. It's about what are you giving to first? It's what are you putting as the priority? And they won't put, put, God, put God first with their money. And when we don't put God first with our money, we're saying, God, I don't want you to be my master. And that teaching that Jesus would have in, John, in Matthew chapter 6, where, where your treasure is, your heart is, he begins saying, you cannot serve God and money. God or money can't be your master. See, you will either have God as your master or you will think that you are in control and you are your master, but you are not your master. You're actually under a different control. See, to be master is to be in control. And the reality is we want our kingdom. We want it our way. We want our control. And anytime I have control, I'm not generous with it. I'm not generous with what I control. And to control my money is to say, God, you're not in control of me. All we have, though, and all we are belongs to God. And that's the truth. And we live in a lie when we don't embrace that truth. And everything that we have and everything we are belongs to him and comes from him. And we, reality is, are not entitled to any of it. So here's the third pill to swallow. It's a difficult one. It's letting our generosity combat our entitled to and letting our generosity overflow from the gratitude of our heart because of all that God has given us. And here's the teaching big idea for today is I am not entitled to it, so I will be generous with it. I'm not entitled to it, So I will be generous with it. I'm not entitled to anything, so I am going to be willing and be generous with everything God has given me. I'm going to be willing to be generous with it all because everything, and I'm gonna do it in obedience to God, that if God tells me to do it, I'm going to give it. If God leads me to do it, and if he tells me to put it first, I'm gonna put his kingdom first because that's what I do because it's his And I'm a steward of all he's given me. I don't own it because I'm not master. I'm a steward. So, who are you going to be like? Who am I going to be like? Am I going to be a Pharisee or am I going to be like the woman? And here's the thing is when I'm like the woman, I'm going to respond out of my grateful heart. See, I am grateful for all God has given me and I will express my love for him by giving generously. And also, because God has generously forgiven me, I will surrender control of all I am and all I have for his kingdom purpose. Because I'm not entitled to it, I'm gonna be generous with it. It displays my devotion, my love. It displays my gratitude. It displays my trust in who God is. And right now, we're going to put it on display right now. And this is how I want you to do it. We're going to sing together. We're going to use the very breath in our lungs that God has given us. And we're going to speak the name and sing about the name of Jesus. And I want you to share this. I want you to sing it out with the breath, because you're not even entitled to the breath. And then for those of you that came prepared to give, our ushers are going to come, and they're going to give you the opportunity to give. And this is not to manipulate you to give, but this is the one thing I want you to do. I want you to cognitively think, as you give today, God, this all comes from you and this belongs to you. I put this toward your kingdom purpose. Will you just cognitively make that shift for those of you that came prepared to give today and let this be our act of worship together. Will you stand with us and let's sing together.